Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I have been uh, sharing with you over the last couple of weeks about prayer that encounters God. Because to me, if I'm going to pray, I want to encounter the God I'm praying to while I'm praying. And I've been talking a little bit about how often God calls you into waiting. You're not waiting for God to work, but you're waiting because God is at work. And as you wait, you wait with expectancy of his answers. This a couple weeks ago, we got one of those answers. For 10 years, we have been praying for our daughter to be able to get pregnant. She has not been able to. She and her family moved to New Jersey this summer. Her first week in Jersey, she gets very, very ill, has to go to the hospital, and has to have emergency surgery. At first, it looked like, wow, Lord, what is, what is going on? Except then when you hear some of the details, you see the hand of God. She, Because she went after hours, about 11 o'clock at night, the surgeon who covers the emergency surgery is one of the most respected surgeons in the area, but he's retired and he only does emergency surgery. He's also an expert on fertility and has been incredibly effective at bringing life where there was not life. So he saw that her ovary was in a terrible stress. But he says, on my watch, you're not going to lose your ovary. And he, he did this surgery. And somehow as I heard this story, I said, God, I think you're up to something. <laughs> and last week, we got a picture of a healthy baby Hearing the heartbeat, seeing that, took 10 years, but God was at work. And, and something about the timing of things, everything comes together at just the right time. So I've been calling on you as you pray to wait on the Lord, but not to wait so that he will work, but to wait because he is working. Now, there are times, though, and this is what I want to focus on today. There are times when we need accelerated answers. There are times when the needs are so great that we don't just need to be able to wait on the Lord. We need to be able to see the hand of God in an immediate way. And I want to say to you that Jesus reveals to us that our God is a God of acceleration. And I want to give you a couple of stories from Jesus's ministry to show that God likes to accelerate this whole issue of answered prayer. Whoops, that went way too far. Okay, here we go. Oh, good. It's not up there at all. <laughs> I don't know. Even the computer's speaking in tongues now. All right, so I'm going to continue on while they do whatever they're going to do back there. Um, I've got it here, so I have the cheat sheet. 
So would you say this with me? I just I, I want you to begin to think not only of the all the times you have to wait on the Lord, but all the times that the Lord is accelerating the answers. So would you say this with me? The God, the God. of acceleration. My God, My God is a God, is a God. of acceleration. So the first story I want to relate to you is, is Jesus' first miracle. His very first miracle was that he turned water into wine. Now, you remember the story, don't you, that here he has gone with his mother to a, a wedding feast, to a, a, a ceremony and then a reception afterwards. And the bridegroom, in some way, must be connected to Jesus' family. Because his mother comes to him and says, there's great embarrassment at this feast because there's not enough wine. And I, I don't know if you remember the story, but Jesus wasn't exactly happy with his mother. Now, it's not because Jesus is cranky. It's, it's rather because in this instance, what's, what's happening is Jesus... When you look at the imagery here of Jesus being at a wedding, you see everything that Jesus is about to do is going to culminate in this wedding, a wedding called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. And what it's going to cost him to provide the wine. Remember what happens at communion? This cup is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. His blood is going to have to provide the wine for the new supper of the Lamb, where we, the bride, the church, the bride, will be together with the bridegroom forever, and it'll be a celebration. But in order for that to happen, he's going to have to be rejected by God. He's going to have to be forsaken by the Father. He's going to, he who knew no sin is going to have to become sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. And he's realizing his mother has no idea of this. But because his mother asks, he says yes. And there are these purified waters that are there for cleansing, these jars of water. And he takes them and he says, set those apart. And then he says to the stewards, dip in and get a cup. And the steward says, hmm, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. So in John chapter 2, verse 9, it says, When the person in charge tested or tasted the water that had become wine, the person called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is a miracle of acceleration. But if you think about it, how long does it take to produce good wine? To go from no grapes whatsoever to having grapes that can become wine takes at least three years. For those grapes then to be good enough to be drinkable as wine takes another couple of years, whereas the best wine takes anywhere from 10 to 50 years. And so you're talking about something that usually in normal circumstances takes years and years and years. And all Jesus had to do was to speak and say, just put the water aside. Now just take a cup, drink the water. Now here's why this is so important. Some of us, see, we say, well, that's Jesus. He's the son of God. 
But Jesus didn't say he did his miracles as the son of God. He said he did his miracles as an obedient son of the father. He said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the father is doing. And what is he saying by that? Well, he's saying the things I do, you will do. And greater things than these because I go to my father. See, many of us have already, we've already ruled out supernatural. We've already ruled out accelerated answers. Because we haven't seen it, we don't believe it. You see, because he knew the father and he knew the father's heart. Well, the second one is just like that because the father said to Jesus, today you're going to teach your disciples about authority, the authority of the believer. And so Jesus is coming along. He sees a fig tree. He says, I'm hungry. The fig tree is beautiful. The fig tree has wonderful green leaves. It's all, it all looks so appetizing, except there's no fruit. Now, one of, the, one of the issues of this story is this. Jesus doesn't care about appearances. He cares about fruit. And many of us, we only care about appearances. Many of us who have grown up in the church, many of us who are religious, all we care is how something appears. And Jesus says, if it appears a certain way, but it has no fruit, then curse it because it's going to wither up and die. Because without fruit, it doesn't have a purpose. It's very important we get this. Because a lot of us have, have basically have basically spent our whole lives trying to appear right. And Jesus says, the fig tree looked right, but I cursed it. And I said, wither up and die. Now, the thing about this, if you think about it, is you, can, you can't just go up to any tree and say, wither up and die. Now, some of you, just by buying trees or plants or any of those things, you, they're already cursed because you are going to turn it into something it's not. But it's not because you said wither and up and die. It's because you actually said flourish and thrive. And it did not. I have a, there's an ivy plant. Lisa has a green thumb. She's incredible. She said, will you water this plant? It's beautiful ivy. She's been nursing it for a year. I left it outside in the 105 heat. The green ivy is now brown. And she keeps it in the house just to remind me, I think. <laughs> but here Jesus just simply speaks the word, and look what happens. Here's John reporting. He said, when the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. Now, the problem with so many people is they read this wrong. And they think that Jesus is saying that faith is the cause of the miracle. Now, the disciples are amazed. You want to understand this. This has happened so quickly. What might take years Jesus has done overnight, all at once. And so Jesus teaching them about authority 
And the authority of the believer in prayer says there's a key element here, and that key element is faith without doubt. But he's not saying that faith without doubt is the cause. So you could have faith in any kind of thing and still not see a tree wither. What he's saying is, again, I do nothing of my own initiative. I have such intimacy with the Father that the Father said, speak to the fig tree. I spoke to the fig tree, and the power of God brought the fig tree down in one day. Think about this with me. If if faith is the cause, then faith gets the glory. And God said, I will share my glory with no one. So faith is not the cause, but it is an essential element. But here's what Jesus is saying. Do you know the heart of the Father? Because he says, if you know the heart of the Father, then you can say to a mountain of trees, be moved. And if the Father has said to you, speak to the mountain, then the Father will give the power then for the mountain to be moved. But there will be no power without intimacy. There will be no power without you being under the Father's authority. Think about how many people misuse these verses. If I just have enough faith, the whole time they're doubting. But I'm going to, you know, it's like if you, get your, if you get your forehead screwed up enough. See, the Father knows you doubt. The Father knows you fear. The Father knows you have need. It isn't that you want to spend your whole life doubting. But you have to get to the place where you know the Father's heart enough that you have confidence then to say, because the Father says, wither up and die. I can say, wither up and die. I mean, that's what we're doing in the things that are going on. So many of our people, not just my wife, Lisa, but many of our people have cancer. Many of our people are going through major challenges. It's not that we're not waiting on the Lord, but we also need to understand how do we speed up these processes? How do we appeal to the God of acceleration? Well, we can only appeal to him in the way that Jesus teaches us to appeal. Because you see, what what Jesus teaches about prayer is that first you must have intimacy with the Father, and then the Father will give you the kind of authority that you can say to the mountain, move. And it might be a mountain of trees, not just one tree but a mountain of trees, and they all have to go at once. But you have to learn from Jesus how to pray. Now, this thing is totally gone. I like these things sometimes. I guess we're going to have to do it this way. Here's what I'd like to do. You know this verse, I hope. This is Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer. Why do I want to spend time on Jesus' teaching on prayer? Because he's the one who could turn water into wine. Why do I want to spend this time on Jesus' prayer? Because he could take a a full-grown tree and wither it and die in one day. So if I want to learn how to pray like that, i got to learn from Jesus. So here's how he taught. Will you read it with me? All right, it's two screens, 
So we'll do two screens together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You're in Matthew right now. This is Luke. Flip the screen for me. So in this passage, you have the very familiar Lord's Prayer that he gives to his disciples on how to pray. But before he ever gets to the how to pray, he says everything depends on your approach. How you are approaching God is whether or not you will see this accelerated answer. The approach is everything. And what Jesus says is there's a pagan approach, and you might even say there's a hypocritical approach, because he defines hypocrisy as being demonstrated in prayer. And then he says there is a, an effective approach, or there is a Christian approach. He's not saying ever that you shouldn't ask for things. As a matter of fact, he gives you permission and a promise about asking. But he is saying you've got to learn how to ask, not what you ask, but how you ask. And if you think about it for a minute, how people are, you know, how you're responsive to people usually depends on how they approach you. Approach is everything. Do you know in New York City, you can be a total stranger, but if you're lost in the subway, people will help you. They might help themselves to your wallet or other things. But they will actually, if you say, which train takes you to, they'll actually, even if they don't know you, they'll help you because everybody's been lost. And so the approach there, the, you know, I'm approaching you on the basis of being lost. And they go, I've been lost before. I'll help you. Even in Paris, where people are not known to be the most polite and generous people, it was so interesting when Lisa and I looked lost, people would take us by the hand to the right train. I wasn't sure if the train took us out of the country or where we really wanted to go, but it always took us where we wanted to go. They, they would actually yell, you're getting on the wrong train in the nicest French accents and stuff. And, and it's so interesting that as long as we weren't asking for anything too intimate, they would give us all the directions and help us tremendously. But when somebody comes and they're really in your face and they're asking for something they have no right to ask for, 
It's very hard to give to them. We were in Ocean Grove. We like to go down to Ocean Grove, Lisa and I. And we were down in Ocean Grove. And I was going into a grocery store. And this woman comes up to me and gets right in my face and says, give me money. Yelled at me. Give me money. Well, I'm like, I'm not giving you any money. I'm going to take your money. No, I... I just, you know, you just get, you get angry. Who are you? I have no relationship with you. I have no intimacy with you. I have no sense of anything. And your approach to me is demanding as if I owed you. I don't want to give you anything. Whereas probably most of us who are parents in here, if our kids were in need, they didn't even have to ask. We would figure out how to, how to help them out because we have intimacy. We have relationship. There are people in the church that have at times come up to me after the service goes, you know, I need I need a taxi home or I need an Uber home or whatever it might be. And I don't have enough money. I spent all my money to get here. And I go, well, whatever I have is yours. That's why I only bring a little bit to church every Sunday. (laughs) I'm slow, but I'm not stupid. Approach means everything. If you are not intimate with somebody, you can't ask for the most intimate things. And yet, if you are intimate, the words themselves don't matter. It's the relationship. I have yet to see a child, a young child, who could say chocolate correctly. And yet I've yet to see a parent who hasn't filled a child's mouth and whole face with chocolate. (laughs) It isn't because they said it right. It was because the relationship and the need meet. And even though they might have said lakalit, you knew what they meant. You knew what they needed or wanted, and you got it for them. You understand how you relate to God is everything. The words themselves, how they sound, what they look like, that's not the important thing. The important thing is the intimacy with the Father. Now, here's what Jesus teaches on this. Will you switch it for me? He says, there's basically two approaches to God that all of us make. And he's talking about when he talks about the people who stand up in front of crowds and pray real loud and make sure everybody's praying hearing them pray and sees that they're spiritual. And then he says, there are those pagans who they think for the amount of words they're saying and how loud they're praying and how passionately they're praying. They think they will have to be heard. But what Jesus is saying is that both the hypocrite religious person and the pagan who's trying to wake God up with their prayers Both of those people have a cold and impersonal relationship with God. So what Jesus is saying is that people approach God in a business relationship instead of a family relationship. When you approach someone in a business relationship, you're saying, you have something I need, but I also have something you need, or I have something that I can do for you. And any time that we're approaching prayer or God as if we have something for him that is in exchange for something he has for us, then Jesus says your prayers will not be answered. 
Those who pray loud and long, those who get up at five in the morning and say, I pray every day, I fast every week. God says, that's a business relationship and I never conduct business that way. And Jesus says, if you think you'll be heard because of those things, he says, you will not be heard at all. And he says, the only way that you're heard is if you're in family relationship. And this, you see, this is realizing what you are to God and then also realizing what God is. So the, the question is, have I been praying in a performing way, thinking if I perform well enough, I'll get the answers? Or have I been praying in a family way, recognizing that the answers are already committed to me? Come on, you got to hear me on this. Some of you are praying, trying to get God committed to the answers instead of praying as one who says, God has already committed the answers to me. And as soon as you pray and you start getting doubtful, and as soon as you pray and you start getting anxious, as soon as you pray and you start getting, you've got to do it this way, God, you are revealing you have a business relationship and not a family relationship. And Jesus said, if you're coming to God in a business relationship, you won't be heard at all. Wow. It's such an interesting thing. Jesus actually says, hypocrisy is that you only pray when you need something. Jonathan Edwards used to say it this way. Solitary prayer, private prayer is the only place where you're doing it for God and God alone. So if there is not a private closet, if there's not a place where you're alone with God, what you're seeing is you haven't come into a child-father relationship. You're still thinking of him as boss. That's the problem with many of us. You see, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't say sovereign Lord even though he's the sovereign Lord. He doesn't say king of kings, even though he's the king. He says, when you pray, pray our father. Because if there's not a father-child relationship, then there's no basis of prayer. But once you get that it's father-child, you start to realize he's already committed the answers to you. All you have to do now is walk in faith into the provided blessings he has for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That's the Father's committed answers. Are you tracking with me in this? Let's go to the next one. So how do I, how do I live then in a house that does not belong to me? One of the things you have to realize, and one day, everybody will realize that this world is our father's world. That even though your name may be on the deed of your house, you and whatever bank owns you, uh, it really, in the end, will not be your house. It will be his house. And so if you begin to understand that, you realize everybody is living in a house that does not belong to them. Now, for the most part, 
when we live in a house that doesn't belong to us, we either are tenants or we're family. And the, and the reason this is so important is because if you see God as a landlord, just like if you see him as a boss, it's very different than if you see him as a father. So most people, particularly religious people, are treating God like a landlord and look at prayer as rent. So if I pray a lot, I demand a lot. I deserve a lot. If I pray little, then I've paid too little of my rent. Think about if you've ever rented a place and you couldn't pay your rent, it didn't matter what broke down, you weren't going to call the landlord. Because if you call the landlord when your shower is broken and you haven't paid the rent, the first thing the landlord's going to say is, pay the rent and I'll fix the shower. But many of us have actually treated God in that way because I haven't prayed enough. I haven't gone to church enough. I haven't read my Bible enough. I haven't been holy enough. So we think, okay, I can't really ask anything of God because I haven't paid the rent. You see, you could be an irreligious person and still treat God like a landlord. But religious people actually think they've paid a lot of rent. Look at me, I go to church. Look at me, I pray. Look at me, I witness. Look at me, I, I, was, I, was, you know, I restrain from sex outside of marriage. Look at me, I've done all of these things and all of them become a business relationship. They become a way in which I say, God, I can demand of you that you do what I want to do when I want you to do it because I've paid the rent. Now, let me give you a silly illustration about this. So, Whenever I travel and Lisa's not with me and I'm having to pay, I look for cheap hotels. Okay, so I was coming. I had to get to Philadelphia. I, I got really tired outside of Washington, D.C. And I, I, I was coming from the south up to Philly and I got really tired. And I said, I just, I just need to sleep. And so I pulled aside and said, $40 hotel for the night. And uh, I'm like, okay, 40 bucks. I can handle that. So I go into the place. I mean, the the, I, I didn't sleep on the sheets. I don't know what had been there, but it, was, it didn't look good. And the bathroom, I, yeah, I, oh, it was terrible, awful. Outside, there was wonderful entertainment as people shot each other and uh, all these drug deals were going on outside and everything. Well, when I got up the next morning, when I got up the next morning, I was alive. I hadn't caught any diseases. Uh, my car was still there. I got in that car. I raced out of that place, praising God that I was alive. And I didn't complain to anybody. I paid 40 bucks. I was still alive. There was entertainment. I was gone. Well, not long after that, I went to Pittsburgh to do a conference. And Lisa went with me. And Lisa, I always have to look for those hotels that advertise linens those nice linens that you would buy and take to your home. So I, w I find those hotels because she won't sleep in anything else but nice linens, you know? And so I pay this extra money, and, you know, and I'm, I'm getting into the room, and I say, honey, you know, look at these linens and everything. I pull the sheet back. There's a dead cockroach on the, on the bed. Well, I just escaped from Washington, D.C., $40 hotel, and didn't complain at all. But because I'd paid so much money at this place in Pittsburgh, I let them have a piece of my mind and more. I can't believe you, you gave me a room like this. This is unacceptable. 
You see, when you pay a lot of rent, you think you get to complain. When you feel like you didn't pay much, you go, well, I got, I got what I paid for. Now, here's the problem. You can kind of do that with hotels. You can't do that in prayer. Either, either to believe you have to pay rent or that you paid a lot of rent is to actually be in the position where your prayers are not being heard at all. It is only begin, when you begin to realize, I live in this house. I live in my father's house. I'm not paying rent. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. It's to start to realize the king of kings is my father. The sovereign Lord is my father. Who can wake up? This is one of my favorite old, old ways of looking at prayer. Who can wake up the king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water just because you're thirsty? That daughter, that son, even the wife can't wake the king up. He'll say, go get it yourself. But a son or a daughter who's thirsty has access to the inner chamber of the king. And what many of us haven't realized is our good, good father is so committed to the answers that when you're in the worst trouble, he's the best father. When you're in the deepest difficulties and you deserve nothing, you don't stop being the son and he won't stop being the father. You won't stop being his daughter and he won't stop being your father. He'll be more your father than ever because you're in trouble. See, there is something that happens when you realize I don't have to perform to be a child of God, but because I am a child of God, I want to live like I'm a child of God. See, as long as you're trying to get acceptance, it's a business relationship. As long as you know you have acceptance, now it's an intimacy relationship and you get to live out your identity in the Father's house. Now, one more slide. Are you with me a little bit in this? Can you switch it for me, Dennis? Alan, you don't have to be quite so honest. So, I actually have two slides. So there's a difference between what a tenant can ask and what a child can ask. See, the child can ask anything, but the tenant can only ask what's in the contract. And so what happens to many of us is we don't realize that we're living in this kind of contract agreement with God like tenants when we could be living like children of God. Here's the beautiful thing is a child can ask shamelessly. A child can ask extravagantly. They don't edit thinking, well, he's never going to do this, so I won't ask. So as a child, you begin to realize that my father can say no to what needs to be said no to. This is the thing I've learned over the years. He says no because he knows what's ahead. But he's always saying yes to the things I should have asked because he knows what I need for the future. So flip it one more time for me, Dennis. If it will go. There we go. 
some reason, this has skipped where I want to be. So here's what I'm going to close it up with this. Are you tracking with me this morning? So what I want you to understand is that in order to have access to the accelerated answers of the God of acceleration, you have to understand there's a huge gap between what you know as a child and what he knows as a father. And, and the reason for this and why this is so important is because your brain operates as faith being different from trust. Your brain, the way your brain works is when you're operating in faith, you're operating and, and, and moving into territory you've never been in before. You're being asked to be, do something that you've never done before, to believe, to hope, to trust, to act in such a way that only you're doing it because your father's asking you to do it. Faith is a step into the gap of the things that God knows, but you don't know. But here's the thing. If you take those steps with the Father, trust develops. Trust is always performance-based. Trust is always conditioned on what you know to be true in your experience. So in other words, God is asking you at every step of your life to step into the gap between what he knows and you don't know. And also to grow in your knowledge of the Father so that it becomes trust. Faith becomes trust as you see how the Father works. Now, why is that so important? Well, one of the stories that helped me uh, many, many years ago when I was a kid, I I went and saw Corey Ten Boom, who was one of the great uh, writers and heroes of faith uh, during the Nazi concentration camps. And when she was a kid, her parents were hiding Jewish people in their house. And they knew that they were going to get caught at some point, but they kept doing it as an act of obedience to God. And as she was a teenager, she went to her father and she said to him, I don't think I can do this. I don't have the the capacity for this. And her father said, when do I give you the tickets for the train? And she said, Father, you only give me the tickets right before the trip. And he said, do I ever put you on the wrong train? Does a train ever take you to a destination other than the one intended? And she said, no. He says, your heavenly father will give you the tickets for the train. It'll always be the right train. It'll always take you to your destiny. But you have to trust him that he will give you what is needed and what is necessary just as it is needed and as it is necessary. You see, you begin to realize that it will not accelerate if you're not growing in intimacy. It will not be accelerated answers unless you begin to say, I will step out into the gap of the unknown because I trust the Father who's given me the tickets for the destiny that I have in Christ. John says it this way, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. Jesus said, your father already knows what you need even before you ask. He's already committed. One time, Lisa and I were in this situation where we had a huge need, huge financial need for the church. And so instead of praying and saying, God, will you give us this money? Will you give us this money? We said, that's not working. Let's together seek the father's face for three days, just the two of us. When we finished our three-day intensive prayer, 
in the mailbox was the check for everything that we needed. Now think about that for a minute. That had to have been mailed before we started praying. That check had to have been written long before and the decision made to send that money long before we started praying, but we didn't receive it till we sought his face, not his hand. He's committed to you answering you, but he's asking you to be committed to the relationship. Father, Father, not boss, not landlord, Father. I was a part of a performing arts ministry and for months we would rehearse these songs uh, in preparation to go to Oslo, Norway to do some street ministry. And we got to Oslo and we're setting up for our first thing and somebody stole all of the CDs with the tracks for all of our music. And now this was before you could get everything on the internet and so we were kind of facing this, well, what do we do? All these months of preparation and we began to pray. And as we sought the Lord, um, one of the kids that was with us took out his CDs that he had traveled with and it was just, it was just beats, it was just tracks, it was just music and every single one lined up with what we had been rehearsing. And so we were able to just go with what had planned, but that was prepared in advance before we even knew to ask for that, before we even knew that we would need to ask for that. And the truth is that we actually never went back to the original music. We continued to use that music as we continued to minister and as we came back to the States. And so that picture of just realizing that you are so loved he cares about every single detail and he has prepared things in advance for you before you've even asked and before you've even known that you needed to ask for it and so this morning i i just would like us to go before him in prayer and as we do that if you would even just say over yourself just remind yourself how loved you are by him Sometimes I think we even need to do it prophetically with our hands and just to remind ourselves that we are so loved. I am so loved. Father, I am so loved by you. Because it's, it's from this place that we get to approach him as child. And we get to enjoy the benefits of the father-child relationship. And I know for some of us, even for me, that maybe didn't have the greatest childhood, it's, it's a new thing to get to realize that this is a benefit. This father-child relationship, this is a benefit. You have the best father. You have a good, good father who knows what you need before you even know to ask for it. But he just wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him and he wants to pull you close and he wants you to lean in and to know that you are so loved and that at just the right time, he will provide what you need. So Father, we thank you that it is in your nature to be provider. It is the character of who you are. And so we lean in knowing that we are loved children. We lean in and we seek more of you, more of your face. And we give you all of our honor and all of our worship, and we declare that you are a good, good Father, and we can trust you. 
It's in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.